1: and on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches, but there's only one Crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem
2: of a detour. Buzz around artificial intelligence is seemingly everywhere. Is your portfolio keeping up? Consider the Global X Artificial Intelligence and Technology ETF, ticker AIQ, which invests in dozens of stocks at the leading edge of this disruption.
0: Hello and welcome to Between the Lines, the podcast that unfolds faded pages, deciphers the handwriting and dips into the details of diaries, logbooks and letters written this same week in 1943, some 80 years ago. Let's start with a quick recap of the situation. Churchill puts it best. Hansard this week records the Prime Minister's views on how the ties between Britain and the US have strengthened greatly over the last couple of months. A complete agreement about forward steps has been reached between the two governments. Anglo-American policy, strategy and economy were brought into full focus and punch in the 15 days talks at Washington. This gives the best chance to the troops, the sailors and the airmen, wherever they may be, from Gibraltar to New Guinea and from the Aleutian Islands to the Burma Road. Churchill's reference to the Aleutian Islands is prompted by Operation Land Crab, which was launched three weeks ago today. After a brutal Japanese Banzai attack, the American 7th Infantry Division finally regains control of the island. This was pitiless, relentless hand-to-hand combat, and the nature and the severity of the fighting in that region is reflected in the losses during this battle. 549 American troops lost their lives, with 1,200 men needing treatment for injuries while the Japanese lost 2,351 men, but only 28 prisoners were taken. On the other side of the world, the end of May has marked a decisive turning point in the Battle of the Atlantic. This month, 41 U-boats have been sunk, while of 370 Allied merchant ships that sailed, all but six have made the crossing. The U-boat losses are catastrophic for Germany. Wolfpack operations against convoys in the North Atlantic, noted Admiral Dönitz, the commander of the U-boat arm, were no longer possible. And, on that note, let's start at sea this week and rejoin Captain Bertie Packer on HMS Warspite. The refit is all but complete, and he's in fine spirits. Literally.
1: 31st of May, Jutland Day. Time, 1815. At this time, 27 years ago, I was firing a turret in this ship in local control against the Germans, as we went round in circles with a jammed helm. At 18.20 the Grand Fleet opened fire, the enemy turned and bolted, and we were saved in the nick of time. I will now celebrate this moment with a whiskey and soda. The leave has pepped up everyone, and I'm sure we'll get off tomorrow in fine spirits. I'm gradually getting a grip on the ship, but since I've been in command we've either been refitting and giving leave, or else at sea. Very bothered all the time about joy." Was told she had arrived Cape Town on the 14th of May. Then I heard she was in the Glen Stray and should arrive Cape Town on the 30th of May. Then I received the cable sent on the 25th of May, rather cryptic. It says, Personal, Cape Town, Safe. Then there's a reference. 251648B, May 43. And then it reads 282210May. What does it mean? Was she torpedoed? Picked up? Due on the 31st? Or has she been carried on to Durban? Or has she arrived in Walfish Bay? Anyhow, the important word is safe. 1st of June Off at 1445, down the Firth and up the Minches with an escort of three destroyers. Saw a large party trying to salvage a submarine sunk. Two in a fortnight. Did an exercise in being attacked by bow fighters, carrying torpedoes, and went to night action at 1am to exercise starshell and searchlight. Out all night. Made old scapper at 1600. Couldn't think it was two years since I was last here, seemed more like a couple of days. Sea Commander-in-Chief of H-Forces has gone off to Iceland with his ships and the Americans, leaving Force H, I guess so if a reconnaissance aircraft comes over, he will not see any augmentation in the normal numbers. We were roared up by Hamptons, Bowfighters and Albacores, etc. on arrival.
3: But no news of joy. Being roared up by Albacores and Hamptons, that must have been quite a sight. I'm not sure if a single-engine biplane can roar, or whatever the official term for the noise of two Pegasus radial engines might be, but by contrast, I do know the mighty Daimler benz 605 of an ME-109 does usually scream. Hauptmann Heinz-Knocker has been flying his Messerschmitt 109 under some duress, frustrated that his plane's high-altitude performance is hampered by the bombs he's carrying. But his biggest problem this week isn't manoeuvrability. It's the determination of the US Air Force. June 1st,
4: 1943. The Americans come in over the sea once more. During the first attack in the Heligoland area, my engine is hit badly, and the oil pipe is damaged. We're just getting into position for another bombing run. I'm obliged to jettison my egg, and it is only with the greatest difficulty I succeeded in limping back to our base. Sergeant Karma is hit. With his tail shot away and out of control, he collides in mid-air with Sergeant Biermann. The two aircraft are locked together for several seconds and drop almost vertically. Then Biermann somehow gets his badly damaged plane clear, brings it gliding down to the airfield. He tries a death-sick landing, but his speed is too great and he overturns. The aircraft is totally destroyed, but Biermann is uninjured. Karma bails out. He loses his nerve and tries to open his chute while traveling at a speed of more than 400 miles per hour. Two of the harness straps break. The is half open when he hits the sea. He's rescued spitting blood and is taken to hospital.
0: That's as good a cue as any to rejoin Colonel Dr Wilhelm Maus, the new Chief Medical Officer of 14 Panzer Corps. It's becoming clear to Maus medical facilities aren't necessarily a priority for Axis troops occupying the length and breadth of the Italian mainland. However, it does look like medical services have been set up adequately on the island of Sicily.
5: As we now know, That's probably a good thing. 30th May 1943. I'm sitting here writing in my diary next to my humble hut. God knows how many Italians live in one room together. The folk are so modest. The way of life here is peaceful. Nothing would bring to mind war and battle. Lamprecht is far from Sicily again. The fight went well even though he went hard past the English attacks targets in Reggio and Messina great result, the medical service is good enough for the island. We must have more positions in Felder Razalet and Palermo and Luftwaffe Lazaret Rapani. And we need a new Krankensammelstelle at Straits of Messina. This will let us cross with wounded to the mainland in fishing boats, ferries or other vessels. A new question has come up. 16th Panzer Division will arrive in the next couple of days in the area south of Florence, but there are no medical facilities at all. I have tried to get something set up, but the Italians have to be half-blackmailed for room. 3rd June 1943. An invitation from General Hüb for dinner. Very exciting. I have been asked to go as the only member of Section 1B. We had dinner the Italian way. Macaroni with tomato sauce, a wonderful fish pastry with mashed potatoes and strawberries with whipped cream. I talked with von Gintelen. We remembered the time he had to get an x-ray because of a bruised knee. The x-ray apparatus probably came from the Thirty Years War. Gintelen got a huge electroshock and a big white stain appeared on his knee. It was a bad x-ray burn. But I changed that description. I knew it could cause him emotional distress. I told him it was a harmless irritation of the skin. The subjects of conversation change all the time. History of art, war, life. Everything popped up. Conversations with the ambassador and General Rintlund show a more positive side of the Italians. Time went by like lightning. We stayed until four in the morning until General Hube sent us home. I was late back to camp, but on my way I saw that most of the Italians here are early risers. While everything was still in darkness, they went about their normal business. Off towards the vineyards with their equipment, life seems to be normal for them.
3: Macaroni with tomato sauce. Strawberries with whipped cream. Mouse does manage to make a situation sound really quite civilised. Then again, men can't be blamed for taking advantage of the cultural highlights that surround them. Corporal Harry Wilson is of the same opinion. As a cipher clerk, he's not seeing a lot of front-line action, not at the moment anyway, and so much of his time off is spent taking in interesting sights and sounds. He's stationed in Jerusalem, and from the looks of his musical taste, he's clearly quite the educated man.
6: Saturday 29th, whole day off. "'Wandered round Jerusalem, seeing nothing in particular. "'I suppose I should have visited the Dome of the Rock, "'but instead I went to see Ginger Rogers and Tom, Dick and Harry.' "'Sunday 30th. tried my hand at a type machine. "'Performed so well that a duty officer suggested I should be a machine operator. "'We're short of machine operators here,' he said. "'My ambition now is to be a machine operator for the rest of the war. "'I am no longer interested in book cipher.' Evening I wandered round the city again to interest myself in architecture, but was in a mood in which nothing would please me. Later on I fell asleep in the YMCA lounge and woke to find myself in the middle of a prayer meeting. A young man was praising God for his goodness and his mercy. I just couldn't stand it and I edged away as inconspicuously as possible towards a side door. It wasn't because I didn't believe God was good and merciful, it was because the words were conventional and meant nothing. They didn't go to the root of the matter didn't even try. Some words of Bernard Shaw's came to mind. If religion is what binds men together, and irreligion that which sunders them, then I must testify that I found the religion of my country in its musical genius, and its irreligion in its churches. Monday 31st, in no mood for writing impressions. Wednesday 2nd, warm at last, Jerusalem be flagged with Union Jacks in honour of the King's birthday and a Brahms recital in the evening, variations on a theme by Haydn and a second symphony. I like the theme better than the variations. It is a stately little tune when it finishes. I get the impression that Brahms comes in like a lion to worry about it. The romantic parts are wonderfully sweet and lush, but the music never tries to cross the border into unknown regions, and the orchestration is little variety. In my view, he comes second to Beethoven, but a long way behind. Night Duty Sleep at 2am. Thursday, 3rd. We go to Akbar on Saturday. Another concert, Mozart's Jupiter Symphony. I love every scrap of his music. There are times when I am not in the mood for Beethoven, but Mozart, never. I can listen to him at any hour. Mozart is musical perfection. Friday, 4th. Drew rupees and pay in preparation for tomorrow's journey. We're going by road, and not, as we thought, by rail to a man. We need to take a quick break.
0: We'll be back with more from Between the Lines in just a moment.
3: Today's episode of We Have Ways of Making You Talk is brought to you by the National Lottery. They've asked us to think about a question that's had all our minds racing at one point or another. What would you do if you won the jackpot on the National Lottery?
0: Well, and Jim, we are not alone. We're joined by my very good friend, brilliant comic, impressionist. He's a great, great friend of mine, Matt Ford, um, who's host of the Political Party podcast. How are you, Matty? I'm very good. Oh, um, You've just won the big bucks, the National Lottery jackpot. It's a massive, massive win. Who would you tell first?
7: I would be tempted to tell no one ever. I'll be ah, tempted to just really keep it true. a secret my whole life and I don't know if that yeah. reflects very badly on me
0: I'd tell my wife and she wouldn't believe me because she plays that, and I very rarely do so she'd be like what you don't do this and then um, the moral high ground in doling out the money that she's always craved in her life would be robbed from her so there'll be like this fantastic double whammy because she always says what will we do with it
3: <laughs> what would I do with it
0: she ums and ahs about it and I get double points because then I go well we're not giving the money to your brother after all or whatever I mean I will we obviously would have to give the money to about brother but <laughs> so the but first the... thing you have to pay for is a divorce Out. <laughs> <laughs> hopefully there's enough money to cover that as well the inner 14 year old matt ford if he could spend any amount of money on something what would it be i mean would it be saying forest related probably yeah just old i mean but that's already
7: what i spend all my money on just old shirts <laughs> worn by players no one else cares about and signed england <laughs> merchandise and basically buy a box at wembley a box at forest and i would just fritter the money away i think on signed football memorabilia but i would still i think i would keep my daily life fairly normal and then i would just Mm -hmm. i think i would go mad on the exp i think for me it would be experiences i do everything i'm doing now but better so i would join a gym that had a steam room i might move to a a nicer part of town with a bigger house but i would just i'd basically just upgrade everything in a in quite a normal way so no one could really know yeah and also i'm not that bothered about having a car I like getting taxis. I just keep getting taxis everywhere. Does that make me sound decadent already? And what would you... If you had to buy, like, a big, stupid, daft gift to yourself... What would you both pick? Sherman Tank. Sherman Tank, you go.
3: I think so, probably. Uh, you Because know, I'd be able to play from that. Uh, whereas you know, if I bought a Spitfire, it'd take me years to learn how to fly it, wouldn't it? And, and, and also, it would just eat into me how much I'm spending on it all the time. Whereas a Sherman Tank, you can park in the garage and it would just be so brilliant to take it out around the village, go to the pub in it and stuff.
0: Yeah, I think I'd buy a Cromwell and I'd park it in the street though. I'd find a way to be able to. Yeah. I'd pay the parking lot. 100%. Farm to park it in the yeah. street. That's one of my major outgoings, will be paying the parking fines that the council would literally smack on me. I mean, Matt, you know, politics, you spend money to do, to do politics, don't you? Politics is all about having the cash to buy kind of influence. Is there, Would you do anything political with it, do you think?
7: I think I would. I might lobby for a cause. You know, I've often thought, I mean, maybe this is mad right, but I always thought that the state should do something for people at Christmas, like a Christmas bonus from the state. So either... Like a free pint or a free bag of chips or something, basically worth about a fiver. And you've got to take it between the twenty fourth and the twenty sixth of, of December. Yeah, and it's either a bag of chips, a pint, um, I don't know, a block of tofu, whatever you're into, up to a fiver, and just like have a government catalogue. Well, that'd be great. <laughs> it's like it's like it's like a na- nationwide secret centre. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I would lobby it, and, and that lobbying would take the form of a Christmas event in the Houses of the Parliament. Right, gave every MP a gift up to a fiver, and say, think how good you feel today. You could do that for every person in this country.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. I wouldn't mind buying, you know, like a sort of Henry VIII style suit of armor, but I'd wear it. There's no point buying stuff, putting in glass. I'd wear it. I'd turn up. I'd turn up to gigs in armor, um, and and swan about in a sort of kingly manner. And and I've recently recently for this play, I've had to wear one of those great big King Charles type wigs, you know, that goes that goes down to your elbows, the great rolling curls. I look fantastic in that. In my humble opinion, that is the best period of men's dress ever.
3: You cannot fault it. You know, 1660 to circa 1715. Yeah.
7: You, you cannot go wrong. But it sounds like just what Al wants is hair. I <laughs> <laughs> there, there are clinics
0: abroad, Al, that you can go to. I don't think you need a, a national lottery win to sort this. So just like any of us, when it comes to the National Lottery, I mean, it could be you, ladies and gentlemen. If you'd have to played tonight, where would you keep your ticket?
7: I would keep up my phone because the last time I played the National Lottery, I used the app. Oh, gave me a lot of peace of mind. Uh, well, I've got, I've got a rather natty blue flying jacket
0: and it's got a little inside pocket with a zip and I would put it in there. It'd be on the notice board. It would be on our family notice board in the kitchen, pinned to the court board.
3: Well, thanks to the National Lottery for allowing us to live out a life full of newfound riches. I know my next move is to get a ticket in store or via the app, punch in my lucky numbers and make all of
0: this a reality. So remember, the National Lottery, it's where your numbers make amazing happen. Whether that's a big jackpot win or helping the National Lottery causes across the country continue with the amazing work they do. Thanks. Life is a highway. It's unbearably hot in the Middle East at the moment. However, if we run our finger along more or less that same line of latitude, then the weather isn't really much better in North Africa. Too much of that heat usually puts RSM Jack Ward in a grumpy mood. He's been quite short and to the point recently. However, in his diary entries this week, Jack does give us the 56th Heavy Regiment's location as being near Setif. That's in Algeria, so they've moved. And when he's running errands, taking a dispatch rider's bike down through the wooded mountains that surround Souk Aris, well, then he might get a little light relief. June
10: 1st. Well, here we are. About 15 miles the Algiers side of Setif. And I wonder where we go from here. We did move on the 27th. The first halt was Beja, where we stopped the night. I was in charge of the regimental rear party at hammermet and had to bring the party along to Beja when we finished clearing the area. Went through Tunis, about 95 miles in all. The next run we were down to run was to Souk Aris, which I did on a motorcycle. A long day, and it was after dark when we arrived, about 110 miles. Next day I went in the advance party, another 120 miles. Very tiring day and also very hot. I've lost several bits of skin and my face is now baked by the sun. We travelled the next day to this spot and did about 95 miles again. Everybody fed up. Miles away from anywhere and stuck up in the hills. Had a surprise yesterday. One of our signals dispatch riders broke down of his motorcycle about 25 miles the other side of Setif. Said he'd left his cycle at a detention barrack by the side of the road. (laughs) The staff there were the same lads that were in the detention barrack. So I went in the signals truck to fetch back the cycle... And there I found the same RSM that was at the detention barrack. Very pleased to see him. Had tea. And we'll try to get a couple of days there next week. Two air letters today. Late reading. (coughs) This is a very nice spot. We do no work at all from 12.30 to 6 o'clock. I wonder where we should go from here. Oh, the lads are back in blighty. (laughs) I wonder. 2nd of June. Received third parcel today. I've sent off a parcel today containing sandals. (laughs) Very hot still. Bloody hell. Lots of insects here. Including lizards, snakes and scorpions. 3rd of June. Received air letters number 23 and 24 today. Also one from Michael. Some of our chaps have gone on holiday to a camp in a place about 10 miles from Kerata. Have to pass through a 5 mile gorge to get there. Grand scenery. I took the water trick there this afternoon. I hope we all go there. Turn cold tonight.
3: To the Far East now, to hear from Major General Oscar Griswold, stationed with US 14 Corps on Guadalcanal. In short, the Allies' Pacific strategy to date has involved small hops, leapfrogging heavily defended islands to seize lightly defended outposts that could support the next stage of an advance. Behind them, those Japanese strongholds then become isolated. Japanese troops were left under a kind of marine siege, cut off from supply lines to get weaker from starvation and disease. There's no such thing as a merciful strategy in wartime, but this was a considered approach. Sea distances and island terrain made it far too challenging for any faster alternative. The island of Guadalcanal sits in that long line of staging points, and in the wake of Operation Watchtower, the taking of Guadalcanal in February this year, Griswold has been in post for about a month now, chasing up supplies and reorganising troops. Here he
2: is, getting ready for an inspection of those men. 31st May 1943. General Harmon arrived for inspection, left in the afternoon in a Navy amphibious plane. 1st June 1943. Inspected Russells with General Harmon. Went fishing. Caught one fish. Coral formations and color of water most beautiful. Returned an afternoon in a powerboat. Ran about 40 miles per hour. Rough. Almost got seasick. 2nd June 1943. Inspected all the airfields at Guadalcanal with General Harmon. Hard day. 3rd June 1943. General Harmon departed for New Caledonia via Buttons, Santo, and Roses, Efate. General Harmon apparently quite pleased with his inspection. Had complete blood count and malaria test today just to check up. Results? All good. Means nothing to me except the last item on the list. Malaria smear, negative. The doctor, however, says all normal. Plan to have this done from time to time.
0: Now, you may have noticed that we haven't heard from Captain Chester Hanson of Two Corps for a while, the aide to Omar Bradley, but don't worry, he'll be back as things ramp up on the west coast of Italy in a few weeks' time. And rather sadly, of course, we won't hear any more from Charlie Williams of 617 Squadron. However, we can find out what young Flight Lieutenant David Blythe has been doing, as the letters between him and his family in Scotland have settled into weekly exchanges. David's training as a navigator is nearly complete. Just a few more hours in the air
11: and a couple of hours in the classroom. 2nd June Dear Ma, within the past two days I've received your letter enclosing the newspaper cutting. It's really great to get so many letters. I was thrilled at the enclosure and honestly didn't think it would occupy as much space in the papers. Naturally, I feel proud about what we're doing here and very much indebted to all of you for having put that little report into the papers. I'm also very pleased to hear that you received the chocolates in good condition and didn't have to pay for them. And I can understand how well you all enjoyed them. Gosh, your correspondence is packed full of news. I'd like to comment on it all, but it would take about six air graphs. You may rest assured that I get real pleasure out of reading all of your letters. They're always very interesting. Tomorrow we get our signals exam, and I'm glad to say that it will be the last of them in this course. We still have a few more flying hours to get in before we finish here, And I expect to be quite busy in that line for the next few days. I'm sitting in the classroom writing this with my singlet on and my long pants. And the heat is terrific. Goodness knows what it's going to be like in the middle of summer. But by that time, I expect to be a bit further north than we are at present. I've been meaning to tell you this for weeks, but somehow I keep forgetting. Last time I was in Detroit, I got a real surprise. I saw Jimmy Smith coming the other way. It is a very small world. I'll never forget the look on his face when he saw me and I don't expect he'll forget the look on mine either. He's stationed near Detroit for his pilot training. Well, ma, it won't be long now before I have my wings. I'll be coming home soon after that, or going on another course here. I don't know yet, but I should have more information in about ten days' time. Kindest regards to all my friends, and to all at home. Love, David. Now back to Edinburgh in
3: Scotland, where Flight Lieutenant Blythe's parents live, his mother, Julia, and father, another David. We're not reading any great meaning into this correspondence between David and his parents. I mean, we could be overdramatic and say, think about it, this is what all these young men are fighting for. And I suppose there is a touch of truth in that. But really, these are just ordinary letters recording ordinary lives. What makes these aircraft special is that we have so many of them. We have both sides of the conversation carrying on week after week across thousands of miles. Here's Ma with news from the family.
12: 2nd of June. Dear David, Thank you for your airgraph of the 11th of May. I sent you a letter last week, so do look out for it. Well, David, I expect your exams will be over by the time you receive this, so I hope you have done well. It will be fine if you are sent to some other part of Canada. Even though we miss you a lot, I know you are happy. I want you to see as much of the world as you can. You remember Sylvia Clements? Well, she has married a captain. Ian came home yesterday on 48 hours' leave, so Joan has gone to his house today. He is looking very well and is due his nine leave on Friday. He has been organising concerts and shows where he is stationed. Joan's also been hunting the shops for a cyclamen lipstick to match the new costume she has made. I received a letter from Mrs Murray at the office yesterday, enclosing a purchase order for ten shillings to be set aside for your return so I think I shall add five shillings and get a certificate for you I sent a suitable reply thanking her and the staff for their kindness she said another member of the staff had met you in Detroit while waiting for a bus small world isn't it dad is working today it's Sunday but it hasn't been such a nice day He is not doing so much gardening this year. I am the head gardener these days and I am trying to keep things the way he likes them. My onions are his chief concern. If they are a success, they will be worth their weight in shillings. I had a letter from Aunt Jean last week telling me about your first visit to them. She says you are a genius at the piano and that they all look forward to your next visit. Well, David... Everyone here is fine, and things are just the same as usual. All the families send their love to you, and it would not surprise me if you walked in someday. Love from all. Ma.
0: And lastly this week, let's travel south from Edinburgh, down to Notting Hill Gate in London. There Hodgson is employed as a social worker. She also has a relatively full social life. We've already been treated to her trips out and about in central London and to her weekends away in the countryside. Her diary does have gaps of weeks at a time, but then she seems to make up for it with a single entry that covers several days. This week, we can see that Via's been taking note of what's in the newspapers and what she's been hearing on the radio too. It's another small glimpse of how people's lives were being affected on the home front in 1943.
9: Sunday, 30th of May. Busy week with an anniversary. Bad raids at Hastings and Bournemouth, many killed. Also at Torquay, the death of Professor Ernest de Sillincourt, which brings back memories. I can recall the thrill of his lecture on Shylock when he read us Schiller's appreciation. We gave him rounds of applause. I have begun a casebook of all the people we help, Something I've long wanted to do. The problem of shoes is funny. Each shop can only sell a quota a day. When this has gone, they shut the door. You must go first thing in the morning and find a pair, if you're lucky. Wonderful rush on tin fruit this morning. Plums, damsons and rhubarb of English make came off points. I suppose they were badly tinned and would not keep. I called in at various shops and collected four tins. Ten minutes later, there was nothing. Everyone short of clothing coupons, especially men, must hang on to my few for stockings.
0: That's all for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. We do hope you found a little insight and were briefly entertained as we were reading Between the Lines. Between the Lines is a We Have Ways production. Julia Mar blythe is read by Ruth Sillers. David Blythe is read by Matthew Malthouse. Oscar Griswold is read by Michael Lyons. Chester Hansen is read by Lance Fuller. Veer Hodgson is read by Rachel Holland. Wilhelm Maus is read by Alex Figueredo. Heinz Knocker is read by Lucas Veschler. Bertie Packer is read by Paul Waggett. Jack Ward is read by Adam Jarrell. Harry Wilson is read by Joel Emery. Narration is by James Holland and Al Murray. Editing by John Gill and Joey McCarthy. Written and produced by Meryn Walters. The executive producer is Tony Pastor.